Cy Cully, welcome to the Rugby Abroad podcast. An absolute pleasure. Ah, no, mate. Pleasure to have you. Episode 13, lucky 13 for some. Will it be for you? Mate, lucky number as well. You've uh, you've done me good there. Oh, is it? Nice, mate. Nice, mate. Well, I'm glad to to get you on a good day because um, just to get you for 40 minutes, I know you're a very busy man these days. Um, yeah. You're up at Durham University. Things must be crazy with all that's going on with the COVID and and the rugby season up there. What's can you tell us something about what's going on up there? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of student population, it's it's been a bit a bit of a challenging year um, from a rugby point of view. Making sure we keep both the guys and the girls as as busy and as productive as possible whilst they're in in the difficult situations of various stages of lockdown or isolation. So. Um, We've been working hard on on things that integrate the squad, on getting them proactively working in the community where they can, and and to be fair, so much of it, so much of it's been driven by by the students themselves. We, we we've been really lucky as a coaching group, yeah, to have a fantastic group that are channeling their energies into into really positive things. Uh, they did a food drive last week. Oh wow, uh, good. The uh, busy working hard on November, great. On this this month. It's a particularly atrocious looking stashes coming through at the moment. Wow, yeah, I can't speak for my own. It's all right. It was pretty bad uh, earlier in the month, but I managed to grow out my beard just in time uh, for this podcast episode, I think. Um, Otherwise, I think I'd be in trouble, um, at least from wifey. Um, (laughs) Mate, I... I didn't introduce you properly. You are have been a head coach and involved in coaching for a long time in rugby. Before which, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you were a player that, at Durham University, actually, where you are now. Um, yeah, in the last few years, what why it's so interesting to talk to you on the podcast um, is that your experience quite recently away from the UK. Um, be it in New Zealand or in Canada and it would be great great to have your insight about the differences between um, between what it's like over there and what it's like back home in the UK um, you've got that first-hand experience so so yeah firstly how, how did you end up getting on the coaching trail what what was it that kick-started things for you after you finished playing um, I, I started before I finished playing to be honest mate I um I left school and thought uh, I fancied going to play somewhere warm. So I lined myself up with a club in Australia, oh, um, nice. post-school, Gold Coast Breakers. Um, went out there and got, I thought I'd get myself a job to go alongside it. So I wrote to one of the local boarding schools and said, oh, any chance I can have a bit of a you know, sports coach job there? Uh, I got there, didn't really read my contract very well. And they, um, after I signed it, they contracted me to coach on a Saturday. Oh, so wow. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't ended up not playing an awful lot because it was quite a good uh, setup. I got free accommodation, free meals and, and, and coached some sport. Um, but I really enjoyed it. They put me through some coaching badges, put me through my rugby level one, my uh, cricket level one. Um, and uh, I, I got, I just got really into it. Got a bit of a bug. Yeah. Um, and then when I went, I'd already got my place at Durham to come and study sport. So I just, I just took it on a bit of a, a coaching tilt once I got here. And um, played played in the first team my first year. Played some decent Bucks rugby or Boosa rugby as it as it was yeah. then. Um, but my uh, back in the day, back, back in, in the, the day, day, mate. Yeah, <laughs> 20, 20, 20 years this uh, this autumn since wow. the uh, the back page of the student newspaper adorned my beautiful mug. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, but uh, my 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 allergy to gym work and uh, my, my joy for. Um, Discovering student life quite quickly saw put pay to my uh, playing career, and um, I just got more into coaching while I was here, and ended up um, going to do a masters in sports coaching at Brunel, where um, I picked up the opportunity to coach their new women. They, they launched a women's rugby program. Yeah, um, they, they were looking for a coach from the postgrad students, and there was a bit of money available, so I signed up to do it for the year. Um, and uh, I ended up staying there for six. Wow. Um, it was my first real head coach, build something from the ground up job. Um, and uh, I loved it and um, ended up going to work for the RFU off the back of some of the connections I made through that and spent six years there. Um, 
Did you um did you prefer coaching than playing straight away, or was it something you sort of grew into? Um, I think I grew into it. If I'm honest, I uh, I missed I missed playing when I uh, the first season I did a, my second year at Durham. I, I ended up coaching more than playing. Uh, I picked up a few hamstring injuries and and a few and I did miss playing. Yeah, but I didn't miss it enough to to attack the amount of rehab I needed to do and to to do the off-field stuff I needed to do to stay competitive at, at a place like Durham where, I mean, you, you played against them a fair bit. You have to be pretty pretty good to get into the team. Yeah, um, and I, I ended up not being enough good enough to get into the team. So my ego found, quite enjoyed. I was doing quite well in the coaching and uh, my ego found that as, a, a, as something better than playing uh playing in the twos or and, and dropping down yeah for sure no I guess it's 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 not necessarily like a common path for players to take it's something actually funny enough I'm looking at now coming to the end of my playing career um really interested in in getting into coaching as I'm as I'm my my playing career is ending um I don't know whether whether it's something you see often you, obviously you're dealing with younger guys right now in in at university level but but towards the end of guys' careers, is it something that you see uh, tran- transitioning more frequently into coaching, or is it just it's just the same as when when um, you were younger and you made that decision? Is there an easy is there a path that's available? Obviously, you've done some work in the RFU. Yeah, it's it's a it's a well beaten path now, mate. I um, since rugby went pro, and then the first tranche of ex pros came into the game. And, yeah. and more, more the guys who who came in who never knew anything else. So that first batch of pros, you know, two ninety five to two thousand, they already had careers. They went pro, their their careers finished. They went back to their careers. Sure. Um, the first group of you know academy boys who came in and only knew rugby, I think they they've got to the end of their careers and not always been particularly well looked after um, by their clubs not necessarily having a huge amount of options. Um, I think uh, and a few of them have gone into coach. Quite a few guys look at coaching and teaching as, as two sort of crossover, a good amount of crossover skills that they can go into. Sure. Um, and some, some, some of the guys come out of pro rugby and are amazing coaches because they, because they, they, they have it, it, you know, they have that, they have those communication skills backed up by the experience of playing 200 premiership games or you know 150 championship games or whatever it is that's the magic combo of being able to deliver and yeah. having the playing experience um i think a few guys have come undone as they've come out of playing and tried to go into coaching um at a level that was maybe too big for them too soon and it, it, it is harder than it looks it's not just turn up with the back of an envelope and and deliver, and the boys will jump when you say or say how high when you say jump. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, some of the some of the guys find it a real challenge building relationships, being able to coach basics, you know, um, and that's one of the challenges I think it starts off. You might find is that you, very 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 naturally talented athlete. You you know, from from the moment I saw you play as an eighteen year old, you, you got outstanding distribution skills so exactly. if you get someone who hasn't are you going to be able to teach someone to ping a pass off their right hand when sure. you probably know how to do it just naturally sure um, and I I use that example because I once coached with an ex-England player I was his assistant yeah. and he didn't know he, he held his hands up to him he's a very honest guy a really good coach but we had to make sure that if there's any basics that needed to be covered I had to cover them because he got really frustrated and he'd step in and go, no, just do it like this, lads. Just do it like this. <laughs> and he'd catch up both hands and he'd fire like a, a 15 metre spin pass that was dead flat right into the target zone. <laughs> and then, this was National One. And, yeah. you know, not everyone in National One could do that. Sure. No, I mean, on that point of basics, um, you spent some time over in New Zealand and they are number one in the world. I mean, we all hear about it all the time that when you go to training in New Zealand, I was over there myself for a year. You were over there for two, I think. Three, yeah. Three, sorry. And and I obviously wasn't part of a coaching setup. I was very young when I was over there. But I, one, one thing I specifically remember and something we hear about a lot over 
in the northern hemisphere is how focused they are on basics. I, you always hear when you're back home in England, when I was back up at Loughborough, that oh, back down in, on, down in New Zealand and Australia, they're not so focused on, you know, gym work and getting big. It's just more about basics, basics, basics. So, I, yeah, just wanted to ask on that. What's the difference like for the structure, the structure of training, the the everything that you, you had to put in? Did you have to change your mindset totally when you went down there? Um, yeah, I I went down there already as, as quite an attack minded coach um, and with already quite a, quite a large emphasis on, on doing the just doing the simple things really well. So yeah. my the first club I went to, I, I auto I fitted in pretty pretty automatically, and I went I went to a smaller club in Wellington, um, still in the in the in, in the top league, but um, sort of middle middle lower tier of, of that league. And um, which club in, was that? Well, Wellington Football Club, Wellington Axman. Oh yeah. So um, and I, I came in as an assistant to Marty Marty Berry, the ex All Black centre, fantastic bloke, really chilled. Um, and he had it, you know, all he cared about was, could you catch pass? Could you do the basics? And, yeah. and how good could you be at them? And our boys were, were pretty focused on that. Um, but yeah, as you know, the, the, the sheer number of players they've got down there, the cultural significance of rugby means yeah. that the guys that make it to the top and the women that make it to the top are the ones who are, have the humility and the mindset to drill in on the basics. So you, you can't, so apart from the, 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 the very 0.01% freak athletes who, who do make it because of something else. Yeah. The guys that make it, you go and watch, we were lucky enough to have open access to the Canes and the Lions training. You go yeah. and watch the Canes. They do simple stuff all the way through training. But if anything goes slightly awry at the end, you'll see them all break off into tiny groups and just go and work on whatever it was that went a little bit awry. And I'll just go and do 50, 100 reps. Just bam, bam, yeah. bam, bam, bam. Um, and then they'll go in. But it's stuff that you would that you would deliver over here when people go, oh, I'm better than this. Don't need to do this. And you watch, you watch uh, I remember sitting and watching TJ Perinara just work on his, his footwork off the base of a ruck, linking with a forward coming around the corner. And he, went, and he grabbed like three or four of the bat rowers and he said, right, you're coming with me. And he just set himself up and he went bang, bang. And he just put himself through reps of doing like basic after basic after basic. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't think we do that enough here. But if you've got, if that's your way out, if that's your, if that's the, there's nothing bigger than being an all black. So if, if, if you've got the pressure of chasing that dream, chasing that dream, I think that that, that means that the people who do make it to there are the ones who worked so hard and have drilled down on what to work on so yeah. and we judge it from the northern hemisphere and we see the guys that made it and what great basics they've got yeah um but i think we, we're looking at it the wrong way around the, the we're not saying the, the the all blacks don't have great basics the players that make it to the to, to be all blacks have great basics yeah i got you sorry, sorry. don't worry don't worry um, if you've got to take it, you've got to take it, mate. No, no, no. We'll do a good. break. No, no. Cool. Um, way of putting my screen back together. <laughs> no worries. No, um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, I remember down, one of my best experiences down in New Zealand was a match I played. Um, I was at a club called OBU or Wellington College Old Boys. You probably remember, remember yeah, from, very well. very from good the club. Wellington League. And... Um, they were the ex-club or current club, I guess, of um, Conrad Smith, obviously New Zealand centre. And he was coming back from his international duty and his Wellington, the Hurricanes duty. And w- when the guys obviously don't have games down in New Zealand at top, top level, they come down and represent their clubs again. And for them, I don't. I, it didn't. It doesn't seem, or didn't seem like it was any sort of hassle for them. It was absolutely natural. Come down, be a leader in in an environment with full of eighteen, nineteen, twenty year olds, and really, really teach them. And I remember the one thing that everyone pointed out, and that that um, I remember specifically from the the game I played with him, was um, was his his attention to detail around the basics, and he 
really didn't stand out as anything as anything super special. Like you look at him on the international stage, he's just that. He does everything everything that he possibly can at a hundred percent. He does it well and there's nothing super special about him, but everything's done superbly well, really efficiently. And I just remember that at, at even when he dropped down to this sort of amateur club level rugby, you could see the difference was there, despite it not being a difference in power, size, speed, or anything like that. But it was this ability that that he just had to do everything a hundred percent efficiently, whether it was a perfect pass uh, into the perf- into the space, whether it was a clean out in a ruck or or whatever, a great ball presentation, giving the nine. You know that those things. You you just you don't. I don't think us in the northern hemisphere. Maybe we appreciate it less we 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 want to see a bit more someone doing a bit extra doing something special doing something but but um i guess what what was so noteworthy down down in new zealand was the appreciation of those um those basic skills done at a high high level and i guess like you said it's those guys that the then the ones that focus on those the most that make it to the top and and in coaching i think they're like you say you worked with someone who really encouraged that um, and I guess it's key to have those people in the game. And I guess that that's what, do you think that's what you're bringing when you, when you come back and you're coaching in, in England, yeah, you, I, you clearly uh, are doing that. Definitely. Definitely. That's, that's bang on the, probably the biggest message I brought back from down there was, um, you've got to drill in on those basics, things like just, just 15 minutes of positional primers before each session, like, but you just go out, you get some good competitive repetitions on, something that's really specific to your position um and you, you mix it up or you or, or just just make sure every every time you visit a training session you find a way of either reinforcing something you do well or improving something you need to do a little bit better yeah but that's specific to what you do on a match day um and again i think the experience you had with conrad I, I, you know, every time we had an all black or a hurricane come out of camp to play club rugby for the three years uh, without without exception they were fantastic blokes you know yeah. you get the phone call on the Wednesday that so and so needed some game time could he come along and you'd be like yeah and <laughs> yes please on Thursday and not a single one I reckon we had well we had uh, four four or five times that happened for us um, at different clubs I worked at different clubs and every single one of them turned up as just really nice humble blokes Without exception, they turned up early. They came to the office to introduce themselves to the coaching staff. They all said, are you sure it's all right for me to, yeah, to play? I'm, I feel bad I'm taking someone's spot. Um, there was no, no ego, no sort of entitlement. And it's so different to what you come across with some of the academy guys you meet in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's a shame, uh, I think, because... The, we it is creeping in down there don't get me wrong the academy process is starting younger with bigger contracts younger down there and it's a big topic of discussion amongst the the wellington clubs and the the new zealand and the new zealand development pathway too much too young with these guys who are getting shoulder tapped at 15 16 yeah now i remember even when i was there it was it was um i think 17 or 18 rather than 15 or 16 that the guys were being sort of tapped up by the on, on contracts and stuff because I remember some eight, 17, 18 year olds were already on specific set sessions from from academy and doing different different trainings, training camps and and the rest of it. I mean, to an extent, you can you can say it's a good thing to get involved at that level. But when you're when you're talking about like putting money on the table for these young kids, um, I guess I guess there's a danger of them losing their heads a little bit, losing their way. Yeah, I, I agree. And it, it's not even necessarily losing their way in terms of, you know, being out and about at the wrong time or, or you know, getting up to nefarious activities. I think it's more just a sense of, oh, I made it too easy. You know, I'm naturally talented. I get to wear this lovely super rugby stash or, or this sure. academy stash. Look at me, how, how big I am. And I think you can, you can lose sight of that edge where you have to, you, you just have to work and work and work to get it. And I think that's what, that's what New Zealand rugby's got as its biggest difference maker. The cultural importance of it to the nation, the yeah. number of people that want to be All Blacks creates this pressure cooker. Um, a bit like, probably similar to sort of 
a, a text young Texas men wanting to play American football. You know, there's a pressure cooker environment. Yeah. And the ones that pop out the top are the ones who, who've got an unbelievable mindset. Whereas if, that, sure. I think that, if that's given to you too young, you've not had to work from it. Will you be that kind of bloke that goes out and does the extras on a wet, cold, windy night in, uh, on the coast when, uh, when you could be wrapped up warm and playing on your PlayStation? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, just moving away from rugby, how was that experience, that cultural experience? You were there for three years, you said, so... Um, did you love it? Did you love it down there? Was it, yeah, was, it hard, it. was it hard being away from, from the UK or was it um, just a... I think uh, FaceTime, FaceTime and being able to see people really regularly for me makes up for it. Um, I think my partner sometimes thinks I'm cold and dead inside because <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. quite happy, quite happy uh, having, as long as I have a chat to my parents on FaceTime or my sister or, or catch up with friends. Yeah. Like WhatsApp and everything makes it so easy now. Like, totally. I know. I think I, think I, watched, I just picked up my phone. And I could. I messaged you because we the first time we played OBU or whatever. And someone had mentioned your name, and I was like, "Oh, cool. yeah, know him." <laughs> yeah. Um, but that twenty years ago, that wasn't an option. So yeah. I think the world's a much smaller place. Um, culturally, it was. It's. It's. A, it's so the same but different. Um, it's um, so so much similar. So much similar, and then something will strike you as just crazy. Um, you got with, any? You got any good stories since while you're here? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's some really cool things. Like the first time we played Norths. Um, I don't know if you played them when you OBU. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Preseason. I played them in a preseason friendly, I think, and it was my first appearance for the for the Prem side. And I, <laughs> I've, I remember going to tackle the the Norths number eight, and I've had a a knee about that big. Just going to the side of my temple. That was it. I, I was off straight off. <laughs> Three weeks out, delayed concussion. Cheers. Thanks very much. So, for for those who, who don't know New Zealand rugby, Wellington Rugby North is um, uh, a very Pacifica orientated club based out of Poirua, which is a, a western suburb of of Wellington. Um, but the first time you stood in the sheds, and your boys are getting ready, and you're walking out, and you hear the hymns coming out of North's changing rooms as the boys bond and they sing together. These enormous men walk out, still singing, hands on each other's shoulders. And there's the thing is, you see sometimes stuff done like that up here in the Northern Hemisphere, and it's and it just looks cliched. Um, but it is so rooted in the in the culture, or, or and and it's real. The genuine feelings and genuine passion for for their community and for their brothers they're playing with, it unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. And, and little things like that would just hit me here and there going, right, this is cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> little things like um, when I was, even when I was working for the RFU, it was quite hard to get in to see what the Prem clubs were doing. Um, a little bit easier when I was working at Northumbria and we had a tie with Newcastle, but still, still not easy. But yeah. the moment, the moment I, reg- I was registered as a coach, as an assistant coach at, at one of the smaller clubs, bang, I had the Hurricanes training schedule appear in my inbox. With, Amazing. Look at that. With, um, an open invite to attend whatever I wanted. Didn't have to book in. Just turn up. Just go and sit in the stand. That was it. Don't, don't be a weirdo and go and start talking to the players <laughs> during training. But um, yeah. it, they've got a little stand next to the pitch. Go and watch. And if you want to have a chat to the coaches afterwards, just drop them an email and say, any chance we could grab 10 minutes. Um, when, I, when I got a representative role, the Lions head coach dropped me a line, said, you fancy coming in for a chat? Just, you know. Stuff like that doesn't need to happen, but they do. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's no obligation there. They could quite, they could quite happily just keep themselves to themselves, you know. But I guess the culture's that different that it just comes naturally. It's huge. It's, it's so good. I mean, it, there is a little bit of parochialism as there ever as there ever is. So, you know, it was having a pommy coach one of the clubs was was uh, you got some jip. Um, yeah. I think one of my one of my proudest moments is. Um, what is a one of the legendary ex All Black that was chairman of my first club, who, um, who who reprimanded me for being too too freestyle in my in the in the philosophy I wanted to play. Yeah. Um, I needed to get a little bit more sort of cynical and uh, encourage the boys to play the corners a little bit more. And I was more English, to, get more English. Yeah, <laughs> being told I was too uh, I was too attacking for a, for a, for a New Zealand club sign. I really enjoyed. <laughs> that. Um, nice. And, um, a bit 
it was th- things like that with, the, with the, these legendary all blacks just wandering around their local clubs having a chat um, yeah no that's great how did you find sort of the reaction of the players? Because obviously the players are also coming from a different culture. And as an English coach, I imagine that that could have been a challenge per se. And did, did you feel like you, was it um, a successful time that you had there when you were, when you were head coach? Did you, did you get the, the response from the players that you wanted? Were you able to, were you, were you implementing your game or were you like learning a new game plan to implement what, like, and, and what was that re- response from the, the players like? And how did, how did that differ from like what your, your current role at university now? I think I did better as an assistant coach out there than I did as my, in my season as a head coach. Um, and I don't know whether that's the culture of the club that I was at, uh, yeah. the club, or the club, I changed clubs to be a, I actually, I, I hit the trifecta. I did a season as an assistant, a season as a director of rugby and a season as a head coach. Nice. Um, but uh, I think when I, I did better as an assistant and a DOR um, than I did when I went as a head coach, I got, uh, I didn't get my, I didn't nail my comms with the players as well as I'd have liked to with the, in the rebuilding year I went to a big club um culturally it was about as far away from an English um style communication strategy very heavily Samoan club um and um my style of delivery is pretty relaxed it's I, I can get a little bit carried away but um I tend to be I try and work with my players on a more empathetic level and and I like to have player input into what's going on. Yeah. Whereas I think that they, those, those guys probably as a, certainly the senior group players at that, at that club wanted to be a little, have a little bit more fire and brimstone, a little bit more of that sort of Southern hemisphere, alpha male sort of approach to coaching. That just wasn't me. And it wasn't a great fit. Um, yeah, that's- you know, and it, we got, so we got a couple of good performances and we had a couple of not so good performances where I just, yeah, the the remit I've been given, I think the young players really enjoyed, and the older yeah. players were, were not quite so bought into. Um, sure. but as an assistant coach, while I was leading um, on the attack and the breakdown um, at a different club with a slightly different mix, went really well, really, really well. Um, we were lower down; we weren't expected to win many games, but we had some good performances. Um, but we we focused in on like on those guys that perhaps had a little bit of something extra, and yeah. how could players into the Lions squad uh, and how we, we from that team that was not expected to do much we ended up with a, with a Lion we've got a guy playing for Hawks Bay who's in New Zealand Sevens now wow. um, a few other a uh, couple more guys signed to the Lions later so there's different elements of success at each time you, you know you've got you to take the wins little wins where you can no, mate, it's it's a really interesting point you make. Um, it's the first time I've had a coach on the on the podcast, so it's a really interesting conversation. And um, yeah, and de- listen, definitely when when thinking about like um, clubs with different types of players, different cultures, and then thinking about what you need to to produce as a coach in terms of how you then interact, communicate, and whatever else with your players. And when you're going cross culture and traveling across the ro- across the world, you, you're talking about a whole different ball game as well. You're not only d- dealing with different mix mix of players and abilities, but you're then dealing with different cultures altogether. Like you said, you might have one club that you're coaching that was heavily uh, or full of a lot of Samoan guys, and then um, another club which might have a different cultural um, input altogether. And that, I, I guess, from a coaching level, that's a that's a big big learning curve. It's great to see clearly that you you you're well aware of of the, like your strengths and and weaknesses yeah. and stuff, and you can see that the how how your your sort of time went because some guys are just completely oblivious to to those kind of things. You know what I mean? I guess that that might be the the problem with with a lot of coaches. I'm not. I can't speak for you know. I only know the the coaches I know, but but the a lot of coaches that I've um, worked under and worked with that have the empathetic side of the, the coaching that you're talking about. There's, there's sometimes a lack of that at the higher levels of rugby. I'm not sure if that's something you see. Yeah, definitely. I think you, you can get pretty successful at rugby for, for a period of time by being just really dictatorial and just you know, moving players on when they don't 
agree with you and yeah. organizing a team and you can get a degree of success out of that and particularly if you've got a little bit of a playing background so your cv looks good um and you've got some mates who are on the hiring panel you could get a half decent yeah. coaching career out of it um i don't think it's a particularly fun way to coach um i also think that most half decent players can smell the bullshit a mile away and if you try and deliver in a manner that is not what you naturally are players are going to think you're disingenuous and they're not going to buy in um so i would i would rather just have to hold my hands up and go that this isn't a great fit and i'll uh, it's time uh, either some players move on or i move on and you know I'd rather that and be self-aware than just to keep hammering away and uh, or trying to become something that I'm not because I'm not being honest to myself and I'm not being honest to the group of players that I'm working with. Sure, uh, totally. And and I remember that. I've just got a flashback to um, you coached... When I was 18 years old, that was, that was when we met, and you coached a Maccabi Great Britain team that went on to win silver medal at the Maccabee Games. How was that experience? That you that was quite early on in your coaching career, yeah, I imagine. Was, but but it's still one of my highlights. If I'm honest, um, I think we were very lucky with with the the group that we had. Like some some really nice, really nice, genuine blokes in there. Um, and for whatever reason, we came together pretty well, and we built uh, a team that probably would have been nice if we had a bit more prep. We might have been able to play a little bit better rugby. Um, we didn't get the balls wide as, as I would have hoped, but you know, we, ha- we were lucky that we had a, we had a very good pack. You know, any, any pack coached by Aaron Lifchek is going to be effective. Um, and we had we had some good threat um, and some experience in, in the halfbacks. And we had, a, we had a young 10 that was was pretty useful with drop goals. Um, so, um, but the highlight for me always for that tour has been, has, was, was the group and the, and the spirit of the boys coming together for one purpose. Um, sure. I think, the, the night we you know, being we beat South Africa and beat USA within three days of each other, playing in thirty whatever degree heat, that was a new challenge. Um, and and bringing a, a group of uh, my first adult team that I'd had to bring together for a tour, for a, for, a, for a competition. Yeah. Um, but uh, but everyone bought into it and they went for it. And I don't know. Again, if you could bottle that sort of thing, sometimes I think you'd be you'd be a rich man. Yeah, I think it's hard to come by. It's that sort of team. I, I the only time I've sort of experienced that kind of level of team camaraderie kind of thing was it was a year I spent in Spain when when um, my team at the time El Salvador we we won the double, uh, nice. the league and the cup, and we didn't we, we weren't expected to at all. And it's just that that feeling within the team. There's something special going on. You know, the not necessarily. Um, you're the the most the team with the most ability in the league, but you, there's there's something going on there that means you're going to get the results, and and um, that's all brought together, I think, at the end of the day by a, by a great coach. Um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on you. You were in Canada for a year, I believe. Yeah. Um, how did how that's totally different experience, I imagine, to um, to New Zealand and England. It's not a it's not a well known rugby nation, but what, how did that come about, and how was the experience? Uh, I'd, I'd um. I was I was coming into my sixth year as director of rugby at Northumbria, um, and you, I mean you talked earlier about coaches becoming a little bit maybe not being quite as self aware or as um, uh, as willing to willing to change or, or develop. And I felt I'd gone two or three years where I'd perhaps coached the same season three seasons rather than done three seasons of coaching. If that makes sense, yeah. I don't think my game planning was had evolved. I'd. Um, I'd got a little bit carried away with the number of rep teams I was doing. Uh, signed, I was coaching Darlington to Mountain Park Sharks in the Women's Premiership as well. Um, so That's a tough schedule. I, yeah, I was coaching seven days a week, nine months of the year. Um, wow. And I, I just burnt out. And the quality of the sessions I was delivering wasn't what I expected of myself. Um, I, I was very lucky at the time to have a number of players who'd worked with me for a long time, who um, have since have gone on to be unbelievable players at the top end. And, you know, we're saying you're, you're not, you're not yourself, um, you know, and um, I had to have a think about it and just thought I, I need, some, I need a break. I need to, I need to make some changes. Otherwise I'm not going to go where I want to go in my career. Yeah. Um, 
and I'd be I was I was snowboarding with a really good friend of mine um, who is now uh, was then just seeing, but is now married to one of the Canadian um, international scrum halves at Chelsea Guthrie. Um, and so I was, I was going over there and snowboarding with them every new year for the previous couple of years. And they mentioned, oh, there's a club, St. Albert, just outside Edmonton. Um, strong history of English coaches um, and import players. They're always open to, to talking to foreigners. Uh, Joe Hull, who had actually had preceded me at Sharks, yeah. had gone over there and she had gone off to Hong Kong and there was an opening. So I thought, all right, I'll, uh, I'll stick my name in that hat. You know, not... Not very much money. Not, you know, there wasn't. I ended up having to go on a tourist visa because. But anyway, it was. Yeah. Um, I just needed the break, and yeah. um, I, so I, I came off the slopes, came off uh, and had a chat to them over New Year, came back to Northumbria, and I'd actually already given my resignation before Christmas, because I knew I had to. I had to make changes, um, but it was nice to have somewhere to go to. And I went out there and I just did Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday at an amateur club for, for six months um, across the Canadian summer. And it was what I needed. It was, you know, I coached in a vest and bare feet um, every, almost every session. The only times we had to cancel, we had canceled two training sessions, once for a lightning storm and once for mosquitoes. Um, wow. We played two out of every three weeks and the third week we all go to the mountains. Um, old school rugby club. It costs the boys a lot of money to play rugby. They really? have to pay $450 a season and, and none of that goes to the club. That all goes to, that's their registration fee to Canada Rugby, Rugby Canada. Wow. Um, so that's a big investment. So when they, when they pay that, they're really buying into it. Um, and it's, it's old school rugby. That was a proper clubhouse and the boys came in off training, got changed, quick shout, upstairs. Nearly all of them stayed and had just one or two pints before they went home. But that was Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah. Saturday, there was a big decking and everyone stayed after the game to have a bit of a social. Yeah. And it, it, it reminded me why I love the game. And yeah. uh, the, the culture and the friendships over there were, were amazing. Absolutely amazing. Ended up randomly living with a, an, another English guy who'd been over there for years, who we worked out and we, we played against each other in his farewell game for his club before no he moved way. to Canada. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah, so and, and I've stayed amazing, yeah, you know, really good friends with him ever since. We've we FaceTime regularly to catch up. Um, a whole load of the boys out there have, have stayed in touch, and it's a it's a memory of a season I'll really cherish. Amazing, amazing. So it, it was just one of those times that that reminded you of why you love the game. It's yeah. funny you said that because I I just uh, it reminded me of something. Even though that was a, a whole season for you, I guess that was for I mean there's occasions when as a as a professional player you get you, you get knocked down knocked about and you get into a bit of a rut about whether you want to continue playing and or is there something should I be pursuing something else I'm not quite at the very top of the game anymore whatever and for, for me that that was the the case uh, a few years back and I, I know for me that feeling you're talking about of being reminded why you love the game I, I can sort of compound that into a into like a a weekend, and it it was always often when I I went to sevens tournaments and played sevens tournaments, and you just see, you just have that pure experience of rugby for what it is, the the mates, the the drinks, the partying, the sort of festival experience that is rugby, and it's just it just put right in front of your eyes for you, for you to enjoy, you know, and in a weekend, it seems like you, you had a good season and enjoying, uh, enjoying the game again. So that's so, so key, I think. And, and for guys, I mean, for guys like yourself who are coming out of a professional career, I was, I mean, unbelievable place to go for an entry level coaching gig. Yeah. Because the, there's not the same pressure. You'll get, you'll get some good mentoring of some experienced players um, who you'll, you'll be able to bond with because there will there, there are lots of, you know I was out there I was, I was plotting how to coach Trevor Leota was still playing for one of the opposition yeah <laughs> what a legend he he came up to our boys after every game and had a beer with them and talked to them about what, what they could do and you know he didn't need to do that you know he's an absolute legend yeah. but um, for, for, for that's that's the route I think some more of the of the, the, the players who, who want to expand their coaching should go down. Go down, go and get yourself a team that's, that's well below where you've played and just, sure. just, just spend your time enjoying it and, and, and fall in love with, with the coaching side of it. 
and get and get those little how to plan a session, how to deliver a session, how to deal with both your halfbacks not turning up to training, how to deal with, well, you've got to be the one to go into the container and get the balls and the shields and the cones out. It's not all laid out with with uh, three kit men, yeah. uh, which is some of the stuff that I think blows the minds of the boys that step out of the prem. Yeah. Um, but those those countries were, and you say like, yeah, it's not it's not as established as a New Zealand or an England or France, or whatever. But there's a genuine love of the game for the people that play it. Yeah, yeah, that's so key. Like you say, they've they've bought in, they've paid their fee and whatever. And I I guess that's not always the case. Even when you get to national one level in, or in, even at, at all of the national leagues, I think the boys boys now have their their um. Their year, what do they call it? Their subscription fee, kind of thing, to the RFU, oh, paid, subs, pay, yeah. paid by paid subs by the club. I imagine a lot of the time, um, where I I think maybe when you you go to university level, the guys are still paying their their subs. Yeah, so so there's subs. yeah. So so there's that you you get that buy in and you get therefore that I think that changes somewhat the the environment maybe. I, I massively agree. I think travel time also comes into a lot of it. I mean, my favourite thing about New Zealand rugby was my furthest away trip was 25 minutes away. <laughs> yeah. You know, from Upper Hut to Ori's, you know, Miramar out, out to the huts. That's, that's awesome. You know, in Canada, it's a little bit further, maybe two, three hours. But still, that's nothing compared to a National One schedule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a massive believer that the National Leagues is really doing damage to the, the number of players playing rugby in, this country, in, the, in the UK. I... I it's you're having to pay players to play at an okay level to because of the because of the commitment they need to regionalize the league so desperately yeah i heard uh, that they were looking at doing that recently and and certainly with what's going on with with the covid the crisis um maybe bringing things a bit more regional and then and then i heard that and then they ended up cancelling the season altogether um What's your view on that? I mean, I mean, for me, I was speaking to a couple of guys who are who are national two, national three level players who were like going, who pay their subs and go for the weekend because they enjoy it. And the the message I got from them was pretty much, well, we're probably thinking about giving up rugby altogether, just you know, picking up another sport now because they're they're doing it for fun, being with their mates, and these same mates have they've all just been stopped stopped from playing rugby for a year, kind of thing. Uh, do you think it's a necessary step? Do you think there was another way around it? I think, I think it's disappointing to hear that there's clubs not doing anything to to help yeah. help those lads, because I think you only have to scratch the surface of, um, of of some social media with some clubs, or to look around what the universities are doing with their players to yeah. see what can be done in a rugby environment to to give the boys. I mean, it's not you can't do rugby. But there's an awful lot you can do as, as a group and as a, a yeah. bonding uh, bonding experience of different challenges, different come to, different opportunities to come together. Uh, I think a, a good rugby club should be really proactive about that because that is a huge support structure for um, an awful lot of young men. You know, for a lot of guys, that is probably their their chance to let their guard down and have a bit of banter with their mates and, and forget about work, forget about commitments uh, elsewhere uh, and just to empty the tank a little bit a bit of an emotional release for some people sure. um, and if you take that support structure away I think that's 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 not good and I think we have a huge as, as coaches uh, or as directors of rugby or as chairman or as presidents of clubs we have a huge duty of care to the, to the young men and women that sign up to be part of our of our club and yeah, it's very fashionable now for hashtag whatever family. You know that that's your club with a club name. But how many yeah. clubs are actually following through with that when the time when the going gets tough for for their players? Yeah, yeah mate. I'm just on that. I'm, we've we've had a couple of messages at the podcast even now that from guys in university situations. They're finishing university. They were looking to have a great season in National One and then pushing on this year. Um, guys playing at the top level, maybe representing England students um, and thinking about their first professional contract. And these guys have basically been told, no, sorry, no rugby for a whole season. Now, what, they're, they're contacting the podcast and saying, well, guys, you're speaking about playing rugby abroad. 
any opportunities going on on you know on that level? I know I know recently last time we spoke you you were starting on a a bit of a venture with um, I believe it was global rugby something yeah. something to, you know I, I guess what you're saying is you want to you want to be helping these players especially at a time like this to look at look for farther afield and be able to to see that well look there's no rugby right now here in the UK but maybe there's something for you elsewhere maybe you know maybe there's a league in Canada that's playing maybe there's a something in the southern hemisphere maybe you know over in Hong Kong and i th- i think now's the time if e- if anywhere when looking at playing rugby abroad guys are really starting to take it seriously because they're seeing that they're they're going to have it guys that could be pushing on you know and having professional careers in the game are being told right now well, you can't play rugby for a year. So what do you do with these guys? hundred percent. I think you've you nailed it. And you're, you're coming from, it, it's fortuitous. There's, uh, we would, we, we've been having this conversation, my, my partner, who you played with, Rob Seltzer. Um, yeah. And he'd, he'd seen something similar in football, but we, we, we'd stayed friends and we, we both of us shared a concern about what were these clubs, what were clubs doing with boys that were, were exiting the pathway, you know? guys who had had contract offers as an academy, been told not to go to university or had, had done the, the academy university thing, um, popped out and then, oh, that, that, all that smoke that's been blown up them, there, isn't, there wasn't a contract at the end of it and they didn't know yeah. quite what to do. Um, and there's a lot of agents, there's a lot of very good agents, um, but there's a lot of guys who aren't so good. Um, who will offer contracts and then take a, a, a cut of, of a very of what was already a very small pie, and we thought that there was probably an easy, there was something out there to help with the welfare of these guys and give them opportunities. And me at the time, I'd, I was in New Zealand and I'd, I'd brought boys out to play in Canada, but just guys that I'd coached at Northumbria, and then guy and done the same in New Zealand. We had guys come out, but there were people I just I knew, so yeah. we set up this this website, Global Rugby, and. Uh, it was, it was a chance just to build a little profile, say what you're good at, put some footage up there, um, and clubs open it up to clubs around the world to click on it, see who you are, that you're looking to go around the world, and they can contact you direct. There's no fee. Um, it, it, it's all free, you know, it, it, and it's if some of the clubs on there are, you know, social teams in the Canadian second division, but... We're, we're, we're hopeful we've got MLR we've got MLR contracts on there and we've got we're hoping to have some of these World Series 10 opportunities on there pretty soon as well um, shoot shield clubs South African uh, South African clubs just below um, just below pro lots of clubs in New Zealand and and the clubs are as often as naive as the players they, they don't know how to go about getting young players and a lot yeah. of them a lot of them have been burnt on players who promised the world and then either don't turn up or aren't quite what they promised. Yeah. So, we, and we, so we came at it from both ends. And yeah, it's just an opportunity to give more opportunities to young people that want to explore the world, want to, for, for clubs that might want to bring in some foreigners and give them an opportunity at whatever yeah. level. Um, I think that's the way forward. The globe's a small place and it'll be even smaller once we come out of this. Yeah, I mean, like, like you say... Specifically now, when guys are actually needing these opportunities, what better time to to have a little experience abroad? If you're a good player now and you were hoping to go into a championship contract or a national one contract, if you if you can spend two, if you're prepared to spend two weeks in the hotel room, get go and play in the Shoot Shield. It's unbelievable competition, and you get to live in Sydney for six months. Go in on a working holiday visa, and just. Yeah, I'm- and just take the hit of the two-week quarantine, you will come back, cast iron guaranteed, you will come back a better player. Um, yeah, look, I mean, this is this is the thing, like, you seeing the current circumstance, you'd expect these these opportunities to be inundated yeah. with players, with CVs, and, and I don't know whether it's people are scared to, like, leave their home or whatever at the moment, but these the, the opportunities are out there still. I mean, you've got hundreds of rugby players who have just been told... That there's no season this year, so you know get, if you want to play this year, get out there. Like put your name out there, chuck your CV out there, like be available because it, it's, it's there's opportunities like you say, Sai. I think it's like mate, you said, be available, be prepared to take a risk, and maybe be prepared to go to somewhere you don't quite want to be to get somewhere where you want to be. 
Um, you know, you want you think, oh, I'm, I fancy America. I fancy playing in the MLR. Well, we've got some contracts. There's contracts available there, but there's also there's feeder teams for every one of those clubs. So if you're if you can get yourself a, even just a tourist visa to the states, go over for six months, yeah, and tear up for a te- for a feeder team, and then almost puts you in a better. Yeah. On- Sorry, go on. It almost puts you in a better position at times if you go yeah. to that feeder club and you're absolutely you're scoring three tries a game or you're you're dominating the scrum as a tight head or you know every every game. I mean, come next season, an MLR club's more likely to 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 pick someone up that's already in the States that than someone that's sort of more of a risk to, to bring them over, you know, cultural risk, I mean. 100%, mate. And, you know, most of them have got immigration advisors on, on staff. And if, if, you're, um, if you're over there, it's a lot easier to get the work visa that you need for an MLR contract. And, it, totally. and if you've got an American grandfa- grandparent at the moment, that, that's the place to go to kick your, kickstart your rugby career. For sure. No, but like you say, there's, there's even closer to home in Europe, there's leagues that are going on. There's, there's my, my league, um, the Italian league, the, certainly the premiership of Italy is, is managing to carry on with some um, COVID controls in place, even if the, the lower leagues have been suspended till January. But um, I know like for a fact, like there's, there's leagues all over Europe that, that are continuing to play. So there's definitely opportunities out there. Sai, there was loads, loads more we could speak about, loads of things I wanted to ask, but I want to round it up because it's, it's been a half of rugby, 40 minutes. Um, I really <laughs> appreciate your time, your honesty around your coaching experience, your rugby experience um, has been really refreshing, mate. And... And yeah, I guess just the the way you you're self reflective as well about about your own performances and your and and your own sort of progression through through your coaching career. That's that's really nice to hear about as well, mate. Appreciate your time for episode thirteen. It's going to be a hit. It's the one that goes yeah. viral. Rogan Cat. I mean, get him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, mate. Cheers, and let, let's let's catch up again soon because um, I'm sure you have loads more to talk about. And I wish you all the best with the Durham program. I know it's a hard time with getting all the students um, to stay positive uh, around rugby, but um, yeah, mate, appreciate your time. Always a pleasure to chat to you, mate. Can't wait to catch up with a beer for a beer down the line. Definitely, mate. Take it easy. Cheers, yeah, mate. Cheers. You can subscribe to the podcast at rugbyabroad.com. Thanks for listening in and I hope you join me for the journey.